Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, Dave, and Brent. Four old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all time and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Rocktail Hour is an affiliate of Amazon.com. When you shop on Amazon, it would be cool if you would first click on the Amazon.com link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or affiliates page, and Amazon will kick back a few bucks to Rocktail Hour to help us fund the free podcast. One Amazon product that Rocktail Hour listeners might enjoy is Treg's awesome legal thriller called Until Murder Do Us Part. The ebook is only $2.99 on Amazon. Today, Dave is going to bring us the story behind Space Oddity by David Bowie. Thanks, Brent. Pleasure to talk about David Bowie today. First and foremost, because we're commemorating the, his recent passing, and the way I want to approach this song and Bowie today is we're going to kind of bookend him. We're going to start with the end, and then we'll talk about the beginning of his career. So kind of beginning with that end, you know, he did. He passed away last Sunday, which was January 10th, 2016. It was an 18-month battle with liver cancer. And I thought it was just appropriate for us to pay tribute to him. He was a legend. He was an innovator of rock and roll for a number of reasons, and we'll talk about his career. And one of the things that I thought was kind of cool, they released on his Instagram account, I think this was just before he died, and it's the last known photo of Bowie Alive. And it was the form, it was on January 10th, which was his birthday, his 69th birthday, and the concurrent release of his 25th album. And Bowie's sitting there in this picture, and he's got this classic dark trilby hat on, you know, the ones that the guys kind of used to wear in the 40s. He's got on this black suit and no socks and these little loafers. And he's just got this huge, genuine ear-to-ear grin. And on his Instagram, it said, you know, why does this guy look so happy? You would be too if you just celebrated your 69th birthday and released your 25th album to critical acclaim. Amazing. Yeah, so he's uh, he, he went out, I think, kind of the way he wanted to. And we're going to talk a little bit about his last album that's uh, an interesting one. Um, but Bowie, he was a prolific artist in, in a lot of different senses, obviously in music, but he was in theater, he was in movies, he was an actor all the way up until his death. And his body of work was wide and deep through music as well as other art forms. I've been listening to his catalog for the last three days, and I'm still only up to the 1990s. It's just, there was like an album every year. It was in early days. It was unbelievable. Very yeah, prolific. Very prolific. And, you know, anytime an artist is that prolific, I think you're going to have some lows. And certainly some of his material was lacking. One of the things that is funny is go watch, and not, this is, maybe I shouldn't start the podcast off with this, but go watch the video that he did with Mick Jagger doing Dancing in the Streets. Have you guys seen it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh man. It's one of the worst videos I think you could ever make. And it's it gives you dumb chills to watch it and watch how they're dressed and the way they're dancing. And yet his video with Bing Crosby is awesome. Oh, it's timeless. Right. Absolutely. Timeless. Um, little Drummer Boy. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's incredible. And that was, as I was researching Bowie's life, that was... Uh, specifically listed as one of the pinnacles of his career. Mm. And it was one of those times where you had, obviously, a very old school Bing Crosby, what, 30s, 40s type of a guy sure. in terms yeah. of when he came or came of age, and clashing with a young, new English rocker. And, man, they blended beautifully. And that was a Christmas special to remember. Well, and you, when you watch the video, you can see the mutual respect and, and, and the relationship that, that they had at least – in, in front of the camera was very relaxed and it seemed it seemed genuine absolutely Bowie said of that that it was a, the reason he did it he originally objected but the reason he did it was for his mom 
Oh. Which is interesting. His mom was obviously a huge Bing Crosby fan, so he said, all right, fine, I'll do this. And it ended up being like one of the great career career moves that he made. Mm-hmm. And I believe Bing Crosby died about a month or two later. It was right before he passed oh, away as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, great one. So go on YouTube and watch that or rewatch it. So let's talk about David Bowie's last album that he just released. It was called Black Star. And um, as I said, it had received critical acclaim and commercial success. And, and that's always partially fueled by his passing. Every time a, a major legend like this dies, you're going to see them rocket up the charts. Um, but as of our recording, it's forecasted, that album, Black Star, is forecasted to sell 130,000 copies by the end of this week. And it's on track to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 charts, and that's going to be released on January 30th. And it's going to replace Adele's 25 album, which is, you know, lighting the whole world on fire. So Bowie's album is certainly propelled by his passing, and there's a lot of renewed and revisited interest in his career, just like you're saying, Trey. You're kind of working through his catalog, and it takes you a while. Yeah, a cynical person would say he did it on purpose. <laughs> we won't go there. All right. <laughs> we won't go there. Let's honor his passing as a as a good guy. I think he went out happy if you look at that Instagram photo. So Dave, how um how many days was it after his birthday and the release of the album that he actually did die? I believe Bowie was born on the eighth and then he passed away on Sunday the tenth. So just two days. So that picture was taken of him smiling ear to ear just two days before he passed away. Yeah, it's the last known photo of Bowie alive. That always blows me away that people can be vibrant and alive and smiling and then shortly after they're gone. Especially after battling cancer for 18 years, or sorry, 18 months. It wasn't uh, unexpected necessarily death, but he, uh, he went out happy according to that photo. It's a great photo, so look it up. And it's iconic, and it shows kind of who he is. And he's a, he, he actually is a good guy, and I think relative to his success, a grounded, humble guy. Um, and I'll, I'll go into an example of that that I thought was pretty cool a little bit later. He's been in the top 10 on the Billboard chart seven times during his career, but most likely this is going to be his first with Blackstar. So posthumously, he's going to get his first number one Billboard charting. Wow. For the album. Yep, for the album. And in an ironic foreshadowing of his death, I I watched the video just uh, last night, I think it was, and it's one of Blackstar's tracks called Lazarus, and the opening lyric to it is, look up here, I'm in heaven. Wow. So uh, a telling and I think a meaningful and touching lyrical intro for, for that kind of foreshadowing his death. So that's Bowie. He passed. Um, and oh, one other thing, I was going to mention this later, but let's talk about it now. Um, talking about the how his success can get propelled by his death, the song we're going to talk about today, which is Space Oddity, reached number three on iTunes um, just two days ago on the 12th. So there's a lot of people talking about it, tweeting about it. It's all over social media. I've taking the time to kind of go peruse the social media sites and there's a lot of people doing it in fact the lyrics for space oddity one guy actually took the time to do this he scoured all of twitter and there's a lot of people quoting the lyrics for space oddity which we're going to talk about but they're just quoting one line here and another guy quotes another line there well this guy figured out that across the expanse of twitter every single line from space oddity had been tweeted out in the last few days so he went he just put a little article together and he pasted together all these tweets and they they're also accompanied with comments just the lines of space oddity because it's kind of germane to his death in some ways and we'll talk about that in terms yeah, of the yeah. content so 
lot of you know, outpouring of emotion and gratitude for Bowie. All right, so let's go back to the beginning. So he was born David Robert Jones in London, England in 1947. He started early in his life uh, on the saxophone, interestingly, which I didn't know about this, but he started on the saxophone and he was supposedly a very good recorder player. You guys know what the recorder is? Like mm-hmm. little flutey things. So Everybody plays it now. Everybody plays school. it, yeah, but he, Bowie was great at that. And uh, he started his first band at the age of 15, and he got a manager to start managing him um, and went professional at the age of 16. So at a very young age, he wanted to be a musician. I can't remember what career it was, but his mom did the typical thing and tried to, you know, put him into some kind of a trade school for a trade and knowing that he wanted to be a musician, saying, I got to save my son's life from (laughs) a life of abject failure in music, which was obviously not the case. He persevered on and became prolific, but it wasn't without trying. He was not one of those guys that as soon as he hit the scene, hit it big. He struggled for a while. In fact, his first album called David Bowie was a commercial flop. In most regards, I have it and I've been listening to it. It's super interesting. I listened to the other day and it, it, it's not great. It's hard. It's tough to listen to. The thing that I appreciated about it is that he was a kind of avant-garde, experimental, innovative type of a musician. And you could see that even in that album. There's a lot of silly stuff in the album, but he was doing stuff that was not conventional for its time. So you can respect him for that. Early in his career, Bowie took the stage name of Davey, and that was his the name he wanted to be known by. But in the early to mid-60s, when he was coming of age, he got rid of that because he was being he didn't want to be confused with Davy Jones of the Monkees, who was, you know, reaching probably the pinnacle of their popularity at that time. So he chose Bowie, and he chose David Bowie, and Bowie is named after the 19th century American pioneer and frontiersman Jim Bowie. So Jim Bowie is a Texas folk hero who died during the Battle of the Alamo, he became. He was famous for his ability to wield a knife, and there's actually a knife named after him called the Bowie knife, which sure. is this big, long one. I'm not a knife guy, so you know about the Bowie knife, Sure, Craig? sure. Yeah, so that was the namesake for David Bowie, and for some reason he had a fascination with that guy. If I can jump in, I saw Bowie, you know, after he passed, I watched a bunch of talk show appearances he made, and he told a funny story that originally it was Davy Jones, and then he changed it to Tom Jones in the late 60s, and right at that time, It's Not Unusual by Tom Jones came out. So he's like, well, there goes that name. So he actually went from <laughs> Davy Jones to Tom Jones to David Bowie. So there was a funny uh, in-between name, too, that he didn't stick with for very long. Just Actually, in between that, he actually changed his name to Robert Plant in 1967, and then Zeppelin <laughs> came along. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Paul McCartney at one yeah. point. Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> So Bowie released his uh, debut solo album called David Bowie that we mentioned, and it was released in 1967, um, didn't get any success. But then he released the single Space Oddity, and Space Oddity is kind of maybe an alliterative play on Space Odyssey, which I believe that movie came out 2001, A Space Odyssey. I think it was like 1968. Mm -hmm. So Space Odyssey, Space Oddity. And he was brilliant in his timing. It almost reminded me of the Rocky films. So Rocky, Sylvester Stallone was genius because he released it right on the bicentennial of our country in 1776. And if you go watch the first Rocky movie, it's all the stories dovetailed with the bicentennial. And that's why Apollo Creed decides to say, hey, it's the 200th year anniversary of our country or 200th anniversary of our country. We're going to do something for the common folk. We'll let a random guy fight me. Bowie saw the same thing because right then was the in the in the 60s was the space race. And the Cold War was heating up, and Kennedy was you know, battling with Khrushchev, and that was when we sent a man on the moon. 
And so Bowie wrote Space Oddity five days before the Apollo 11 mission launched, landing the first man on the moon. So from a marketing Ooh. perspective, it was brilliant and genius. And because of the popularity, the, the song immediately gained popularity and became synonymous with the space launching, which was a part of the whole national pride that the U.S. felt and the U.S.'s allies. So really just a smart move from a marketing and a timing perspective. Uh, the song later became his first number one single in the U.K. and launched his international stardom. It got to fifth, number 15 on the U.S. Billboard charts. So the interesting thing about the lyrics and the meaning behind the song is that it's about an astronaut, Major Tom. And he's getting ready in the beginning of it with, uh, you know, getting in his spaceship and he's getting launched into space. But what happens, and I didn't even know this until I started like really delving into the meaning behind the song and actually reading the lyrics. What happens is he goes out into space and we'll talk about some of the lyrics. He goes out into space and when he's there, he sees the earth in all of its beauty from this new vantage point, And he realizes that this is where he belongs, and he doesn't want to go back to Earth, so he cuts off his communication with ground control and floats off into space. Oh, I didn't know he did it on purpose. Interesting. Yeah, super interesting. So this is these are the lyrics, and it starts off with this kind of low vocal melody where he's singing ground control to Major Tom, and ground control is talking to the Major, saying, take your protein pills, put your helmet on, commencing countdown engines on. And at the same time, you can hear him in the background. He's counting down 10, 9, 8. And then as soon as he hits 1, the music goes into this really kind of uh, postmodern, dissonant, kind of confusing thing going on. And then there's like this, uh, I don't know if it's, I think it's kind of like a, it's almost like a slide guitar that's kind of going up higher and higher and higher. And that's kind of the launch. And then that's when the music comes in after the launch and he's singing an octave higher singing, this is ground control to Major Tom. You've really made the grade, and the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. And so what that means, it's an interesting little colloquialism from the Times. Back in England in those days, they would say, hey, everyone wants to know what shirts you wear if you're a famous guy. The shirts meaning what soccer or what football jersey are you oh, wearing. okay. So now, in other words, Major Tom, you're an international celebrity because you've launched yourself into space. All the papers want to know what's your soccer team. So basically, hey, you're famous now. I thought it was like Perry Ellis or <laughs> – <laughs> That's right. And so then he calls back, Major Tom calls back, and he says, this is Major Tom to ground control. I'm stepping through the door and floating in a most peculiar way, and the stars look very different today. Major Tom starts calling back to Earth, and he says, this is Major Tom to ground control, and then he goes and he steps out the door, and he's floating in space, and then he looks around and he says, hey, the stars look very different, and planet Earth is blue, and there's nothing I can do. And then he says, though I've passed 100,000 miles, I'm feeling very still. And I think my spaceship knows which way to go. And so he's feeling a longing to be out in space. And then he just decides to say, hey, I'm out. Tell my wife I love her very much. She knows. And then he cuts off communication. And then the rest of the song, it's ground control beaming back up to Major Tom saying, hey, you've cut off your communication. What's going on? Please communicate. Please communicate. But Major Tom is gone. So it's Bowie's yearning to go out and be effectively an alien. Interesting. No, I there to me that really um, seems to pay an homage in in an almost subtle way uh, to and especially to those of us that are real fans of the movie uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, and I, you know, I've always kind of seen Bowie uh, as somebody who's a lot like Kubrick. 
they're both geniuses in their own way, but they have their own quirky uh, lives that they've lived in their own way. And and I could see real parallels between Kubrick and, and David Bowie, geniuses, both of them. And uh, this is a great song, and if and I, I'd never drawn that connection before to the to the movie, but that makes me like the song even more. So the movie was the inspiration for the song explicitly. Bowie admitted it, wow. and he said that he was absolutely stoned out of his mind when he watched as it, as most people were when they <laughs> saw it in 1968. <laughs> and actually, you know, if you've ever watched the movie, I think by the end of the movie, whether you've taken anything or not you you kind of feel like you've you've gone on that journey of taking some drugs because it's really a psychedelic movie but it's beautiful i mean it's just incredible it's beautiful and it's um i don't know what it means and i don't care it's just incredible to watch and by the time you're done you've been on a journey that that uh, watching it over and over is is incredible my son my son my 16 year old son loves that movie and for 1968, it's way ahead of its time. So ahead of its time. It's got special effects that would rival anything today. Uh, only a little bit dated by today's standards. But uh, when you know how they do it, it's amazing. It's a bold statement too. Wow. Yeah. Um, one of the things that impresses me about Bowie, as well as a lot of the guys that we talk about in the Rocktail Hour, Bowie was 22 when he plugged into this. He's probably 21 when he saw Space Oddity or Space Odyssey. And he was 22, and he wrote this song that could itself be fodder for a full science fiction movie mm -hmm. just in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of the movie, the recent movie, Gravity. Mm -hmm. And it almost makes you think, like, Gravity, all they did is just rip off Space Oddity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and turn it into a movie with, you know, 21st century effects. Speaking of movies, I thought that this song really had a powerful effect in uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, and there's that scene when he's deciding whether or not he's going to go forward or or um, or lack the courage to go forward. And, and actually, Kristen Wiig sings this with David Bowie singing it in the background, and then it cuts to just Bowie singing, and, and, and the full effect of the song plays, and he runs and jumps in a helicopter as he's taking off, and it's pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting song that doesn't really fit in the context of the movie, but then it does. Mm -hmm. And you're much more of the movie buff than I am, but as I was researching this song, I saw, and I can't even remember what they are off the top of my head, but it mentioned The Secret Life of Walter Mitty and then a whole other kind of plethora of other movies that have used it, and it's kind of found its way into a lot of different popular culture venues. And I think it's it's been something that's inspired people. I mean, we talked about the Twitter feeds and everything. It's it's a, It's a unique song and singular in its ability to kind of touch people on a really unique chord. Yeah, I'm not sure that the words necessarily in and of themselves are expiring, but, you know, coupled with the beautiful music, um, the, the music is very powerful. And I think, you know, uh, oftentimes the music invokes um, emotion far beyond what the words normally would have. Um, and these are good words. I'm not saying that they're not. It's a great story, um, but it's not necessarily poetry set to music. You know what I'm saying? And But I love this song. And I, I have to say that... Um, I grew up in a time when maybe David Bowie, uh, when when I was at my height of listening to music as a kid, wasn't necessarily you know the ideal of what I had set for myself for rock and roll music. But I will tell you, I would never turn David Bowie. I may not have bought his music, but I would never turn the radio station when he came on because I was always drawn to his music, and I always had a great respect for for him as a musician. Or well. I'm sorry, I don't know that he's a musician, but uh, for him as a as an artist, 
And uh, yeah, well, I, when he passed, it's, it's one of those things where an artist passed sometimes and you're like, oh, and then an artist passes and you go, oh, and this was one of those moments. Absolutely. It's funny how it's almost like we feel like we own a little piece of the artists that are really, really good because they've affected us mm-hmm. in some way. And so when that artist passes, there's a little sliver of you that passed along with them. And that's why you feel it so deeply and emotionally yeah. when these guys go, because their ability to connect with you on an emotional level is something unique. I mean, I get music connects with me on a social, on an emotional level in a different way than my kids can. And I love my kids and my mm-hmm. wife can. It's just, it's a, it's an emotional connection that is really singular and unique. And so it's personal and, it's it, personal, and it only, right? it only applies to you because you can only feel it the way that you can feel it. Yeah. And that's, that's the best part of music. Mm-hmm. Somebody else may not even appreciate a song that, that means so much to you. And that's art. That's, that's, great yes and see that you said it right there that's art and music to me has to touch your emotions and it has to be art on some level Mm -hmm. and that's why not to like go to a negative side of music for this but that's why all of these american idol things and everyone's singing other people's songs and supermodels that should be in a magazine or up on stage singing i mean it divorces itself from art and it only focuses on the entertainment value and the entertainment value is important. Sure. But David Bowie, as you said, isn't, was an artist in mm-hmm. almost the purest sense of the mm-hmm. word. And that's what touches me and makes me respect him and, and kind of like leaves a little bit of a hole in me when, he, when a guy like that passes. I was listening to the radio today in LA, a local station, and there was a record producer that was playing one of his songs and he actually broke down and was crying on air mm-hmm. because yep. of how powerful Bowie was. I have Bowie's greatest hits CD. And I put it on my iTunes or on my iPod, uh, and and I will run and listen to the music. And I, I haven't been able to listen to it. It's like so strong. Uh, and Dave, you probably can identify with this. I was a band in high school. We played Suffragette City. Yeah, great, song. great song. And but changes and China Girl and Heroes and it goes. You know, it's just. I think the people, the reason people were so touched is he wasn't afraid to take chances. And what you're talking about the American Idol thing, everyone is so commercialized now that you know i've if you watch the black star video or on youtube or, or such it's different it's bizarre i mean there's a girl walking looks like alice in wonderland with a monkey tail and, and he's got those weird blindfolds over his eyes with those little dots yeah for like eyes, his eyes, eyes or it's a really it, bizarre it's video. bizarre and and when i first heard it i go oh i don't like this i wish i did three times later i'm watching i go wow this is this is really growing on me and I think that's what Bowie was. I mean, he, he would grow on you to the point that you, you ended up loving him because he was so far off the beaten path and so different and, and so willing to take a chance. And what he did, you know, it, it's like you said, he did it art for art's sake, not for commercialism or because he was trying to make money. He did it because he thought it was important. And I think ultimately, and time proves that those are the greats, those who take chances, and that's who we're celebrating here. You know, those, be it a John Lennon or or some of these other musicians that weren't afraid to, to go off the beaten path and take chances. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. And to hearken back to one of the things Tim said, I mean, th- there's the mu- for this, going back to the song, there's the music and then there's the lyrics, but this almost as much or more than any other song is a really good example of the sum being worth more than the sum, or sorry, the total being worth more than the sum of its parts, right? So the lyrics I think are good and they're interesting and they're kind of innovative and certainly timed well with the space mission that was going on at the time. The music is great. There's a lot of really catchy um, acoustic guitar, riff, chord, strumming things. 
but he uses all kinds of different funky instruments in it. But then what he does is he dovetails the theme of the lyrics with the music. So as he's sitting there talking about how, you know, what, what is the lyric that I think my spaceship knows which way to go, tell my wife I love her so, and he floats out into space, the music starts getting back into this chaotic, dissonant, strange thing. And if you close your eyes, that's maybe probably what emotionally it feels like to just float off into space. And so really the music and the lyrics just interweave through the whole song in such a unique way that it really, you have to say this guy, I, I, we've said it too many times probably now, but he was such an artist. And this one, he was 22 years old and he took something like as, you know, I guess non-musical as the space race and launch, putting a man on the moon and he turned it into a piece of just timeless musical art. And that, to me, just speaks worlds. And so as soon as I learned that about Bowie, I just kind of put him even on a higher pedestal than I had him before. Well, let's talk about an interesting story just to wrap up this podcast. This is about a guy named Chris Hatfield, and he's actually a really interesting and I'm sure brilliant guy and a talented guy. Uh, he is uh, is or was the commander of the International Space Station, an astronaut, and he's a Canadian guy. And so back in 2013, he covered space oddity, but he did it from within the International Space Station, had it filmed in there, and he's kind of floating around, and he has a guitar, and he's singing. He's got a good voice. It's not a Bowie-esque voice, but he's got a good voice, especially for an astronaut, for a non-professional musician. But the music is great. Whoever he had as studio musicians or however he compiled it is really good. And it's interesting. There's a couple of things, Craig. You might appreciate this being a legal guy. Legal scholars actually wrote, and I didn't read the piece, but they, they wrote a piece um, in The Economist magazine debating the copyright ins and outs of, what he, of recording a copyrighted piece of material while in space. You're not on Earth. So what laws apply? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There's no maritime laws, right? That's interesting. There's no laws of the land. You're in space. So are you violating copyright? And they wrote a big expose on this. So it's an interesting theory. Interesting. But what he did, Chris Hatfield, was he rewrote the end of the song because Bowie wrote it about floating out into space. Here he is actually in space and he doesn't want to say, tell my wife I love her so I'm out of here. So he rewrites the song, and what happens is ground control comes back to him and says, hey, it's time to come back to Earth. And he says, great, I can't wait to get back to Earth to see my loved ones. And he floats safely back down to Earth and makes it. Mm. Right. So then, anyway, oh, there's cool. this whole video that's on YouTube. What happened, and it's an interesting thing, this is the only song, for whatever reason, I couldn't figure out why I didn't spend enough time to do the due diligence, but it's the only song in Bowie's catalog that he does not own the publishing rights to. Mainly, maybe because it was his first breakout hit, and in order to have it, you know, get wide airplay, maybe he sold off the part of the rights or something like that. But the company, the publishing company that owned the rights to the song, actually censored this video on YouTube that he made, Whoa. forced YouTube to take it down. Oh! So here's a little window into what, what a cool individual Bowie is, in my opinion. Bowie heard about this, he saw the video. And his initial reaction to the video was awesome. I love it because it's kind of a work of art. It's the way this guy was interpreting Bowie's work of art. And that's what Bowie does. He's a, an interpreter and, and, and an innovator. And that's what, kind of what this guy did. And so Bowie actually called up the company that owns the publishing rights and said, listen, give this guy my song, let him do it, and give him a free YouTube license. 
So YouTube renewed the license, or sorry, the publishing company acquiesced to Bowie's demands, gave him a free YouTube license, and so now the video is back on YouTube. It's got 30 million views. Wow. wow. And that license actually, I think, expires in November of 2016. So go and watch the video, and uh, you'll be entertained. It's a pretty cool one. I heard an interview with the guy just a few days ago. Yeah. Oh, what did he say? They interviewed him on NPR after... Uh, the news of Bowie's death broke and he told the story about recording the song. And the one thing that he said that was truly amazing, he said that David Bowie said this was the most touching cover of his song that he'd ever heard. And you can just imagine, you know, this astronaut to get praise from David Bowie. Oh, was what pretty a great cool. thing. Yeah. And think about all the artists out there that take themselves so seriously and David Bowie was an artist among artists, and he. there's so many people that would take themselves so seriously that say, oh, if you're going to tweak my lyrics and change my work of art, you know, they'll put the clamps down on it and yank their licenses or sue them or whatever. And Bowie was like, he recognized it for what it was. This is pretty cool. I like, I like what you did with it. And he He's actually a gojillionaire. It's not like a couple of covers of his song <laughs> is going to ruin his livelihood. Yeah, but I think other artists who are also gajillionaires, um, you know, Metallica being one, Maybe I shouldn't go there. Other artists who are also gajillionaires, they, their ego is so wrapped up in their works of art as they see them sure. that they wouldn't want Absolutely. anyone else to be yeah, no, messing with it. Yeah. Bowie recognizes that, hey, you can be avant-garde with my stuff just like I'm avant-garde with everything else that I do. Thanks, Dave, for the great homage to David Bowie, truly one of the greatest artists ever. You can listen to a clip from the song on iTunes by clicking on the album link on the Rocktail Hour website. Please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com. That's dudes, D-U-D-E-S, at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong. If you have an interesting rocktail of your own or if you have a recommendation of a song that would be a great subject for Rocktail Hour. If you think we're just lame, please keep that to yourself. And please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes. Until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on.